that you are. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, and I'm here with Elliot. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And it is just the two of us today. Marilyn is out adventuring in the mountains, and somehow she thought that the two gentlemen could hold down the fort. I don't know. We'll see. We're a little nervous. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we can we can carry this through, though. Um, Ironman Tulsa's this weekend. It'll be after the race when you guys hear this. So hopefully the next episode will have some good things to say about it. Hopefully everyone has a great race there, including Jesse, including Jesse. Um, <laughs> we're going third person for this whole podcast. We're going oh, no to be hard to remember. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go third person. So it sounds like there's more people here. Um, but yeah, I'm getting a little bit nervous. So excuse me if I have a little bit of a race brain. Um, but since it's just the two of us, we thought we would talk about the fact that we have known each other for well over a decade. And during that decade, Elliot coached me for a solid nine years. Um, I guess there was the, the occasional, uh, you know, timeout in there, but, but basically nine years straight, which is a pretty long athlete coach relationship. Yeah. We just went through the old emails and it's January, essentially January 1st, 2009 through the end of the 2017 season, which kind of shocked both of us. We weren't, we didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> yeah. I was, we were both kind of scrolling through and I was like, these just keep going and going and going. And, um, and yeah, I guess prior to being coached by Elliot, I had done three Ironmans, I believe. And one of them included Kona. And then, yeah, we started PR, I believe. Uh, I, the time. I, I believe you more than I believe my Nine, memory. So. 47. I looked up the original email you sent me with, uh, you had a, a nice little document with all your various race results and, and Ironman Hawaii was definitely your fastest Ironman to date at 947. And that would have been 2008, right? Yeah. Yeah. 2008. And your um, fastest half Iron Man? Any guesses? Four thirty, four nineteen. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, nice. I can't. I don't have it up which race it was, but you had a lot of four thirty, four forty, four fifties. But um, spoiler alert: I've gotten faster since then. Nine forty seven is not still my PR, but if it was, it'd still be reasonable. But um, but yeah. So there's been a lot of changes over whatever the last decade. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to talk about um, how we started and kind of how the workouts went originally and what we what we learned from that, what we do now that's different. And especially given that about what three years into our athlete coach relationship, I started coaching myself. And then a couple of years later, it kind of I believe became- that's you started coaching as well. Right. Yes. I started coaching as well. Uh, I didn't start coaching myself. Uh, you did. Eventually, but not right. until 2018. But yeah. yeah, it took took a little longer. But but yeah, I started coaching other people. And so yeah, there's a, a lot of kind of nuance going on there with a, a coach who has a coach who also coaches. So yeah, that's kind of what we're uh, what we're gonna dive into today. So Elliot, do you wanna I guess talk a little bit about maybe your thoughts when you were taking me on as an athlete and kind of what um you know, we, I guess my goals at the time were to get my pro card and 
we had a long-term plan as far as getting me fast at the Ironman distance over time. But yeah, what were your thoughts as far as like what you wanted to do to help me achieve those and, and how'd that kind of come out in, in my day-to-day workouts? Um, I distinctly remember you wanted to race professionally and you thought it was going to be like a one to two year plan to get you there. And you had your race in Hawaii, which was essentially, I think one of your better races in your life at that point. And you're like, well, that was a good race, but it's not nearly good enough to be racing professionally. Um, and so you kind of wanted to dig your heels in. And I remember thinking that you were a handful of tweaks away from getting there. Um, and I was excited because at the time, uh, I actually wasn't coaching full-time yet. I didn't start that for two years later, but I had been coaching for, I believe six or seven years at the time. Um, but I didn't have a lot of, uh, I think I just had a lot of confidence that you'd get faster. And I, I didn't have anything to base it off of other than the handful of people I'd coached in the seven years prior tended to get faster. And I wasn't quite sure why yet. <laughs> um, if I'm going to be totally honest, like now that I'm 20 years in, it's a little bit closer, uh, a little bit clearer, but at the time I was kind of like, things keep seeming to go pretty well. So I must be doing something right, but I wasn't sure what I was doing. Right. Um, and I was, I remember being very certain you'd get faster and then essentially you qualified for your pro card in your first, uh, race you could have qualified, which was five months into us working together. Um, I don't actually remember what I changed about your training. Do you? Well, I think, I mean, in general, I was just tagging along with other people at the time and I wasn't really doing like anything specific for what I wanted to do. Like, I, I mean, I had a, a training plan that I was, that's kind of like loosely following, but I would just kind of deviate whenever I had the opportunity and so yeah, there just wasn't a lot of structure and there also, I feel like my, my intensity that I was using on my own was kind of like willy nilly at best. Um, so our, our, uh, estimations were right. My notes say, as, as I started with you, Jesse went hard, lots, raced many sessions, group rides, group swims, fast training partners, which more or less, I think sums up everything you just said. And that's where you were at. Um, and I believe I, I, at the time was very into lots of running at kind of 10 K effort, lots of riding at 40 K effort and really spaced out intervals. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, being in Durango at the time, I did a fair amount of trainer work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, compared to now and, and yeah, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of 40 K work, even some 20 K work in there with, with yeah ample rest. And then, and then if you're listening to this, essentially that's 40 K is equates to FTP. It's just, I've been using different terminology for so long that I can't switch over. <laughs> so, um, so what do you, what do you remember specifically about that? That seemed to kind of work for you. And what do you remember that kind of like shocked the system and maybe you weren't too happy about I mean, honestly, I, I don't have a huge memory to like, you know, what was a big change then, but I think that one, like learning, learning how to go like moderately hard versus like all out. Yeah. Versus joining a group ride and being like, well, I'm just going to go as hard as I can, as long as I can and see what happens. 
So I think that was a, a change. And I think that was extremely applicable to being able to do that in racing where I didn't get on the bike after the swim and say, all right, well, it's a race. So I'm going to try and push as hard as I can on the pedals for as long as I can mm-hmm. without having any sort of like gauge as far as what that might be. And I think that kind of correlates across all three disciplines, even though we're kind of seems like we're talking about the bike a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, um, essentially you had to learn how to pace and I think pacing could be applicable to every single workout you did and to your racing and essentially like taking more of a long-term view towards all of your training. Um, is that fair to say? Yeah. And I think the, the one, like I think that the thing that was like my, my weakness at, at that point in time, which I still consider my weakness to this day, it was, is like riding hard. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, was most, most applicable to like how I was, how I was riding the bike and, but also like almost mattered less on the bike at that time, because in racing, I didn't know how to push hard enough on the pedals to actually hurt myself. <laughs> whereas, whereas now I, I can push hard enough that I could really mess up my run. Like that point in time, I could ride as hard as I wanted to. And my run was going to be fine. Cause like, I literally like couldn't push that hard. Yeah. It took a bit of time to develop, to get you there. Um, what about any, do you remember anything like even from the first couple of years that, uh, so you took away kind of pacing throughout each workout and every, every workout and also just kind of day to day and week to week and month to month. I I feel like your training became a little more even keel. There was less crash and burning, although there was plenty of crash and burning. (laughs) Um, and so like, what are some of the negatives? I guess I'll just kind of start. So like, I think as a coach back then, um, and so we're talking 12, 13 years ago, I was really definitely okay with pretty big hours and large loads of intensity. And then most everybody I had coached at that point was like 18 to 25 years old. So I could kind of get away with it. Um, but then looking back on, and I think it was only a couple years in where I was realizing there was maybe it wasn't a complete crash and burn, but there was plenty of times where we were losing, um, some percentage points by just having you just drag through training, being kind of like borderline exhausted for too long. Is that, uh, do you remember that or would you disagree with that? Uh, so that's actually one of the notes I wrote down as well, where (laughs) I, I was looking back at some of the weeks I was doing and I was like, crap, man, I was doing that much. And I was teaching full time. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was, we were training a lot back then. And I, I definitely don't think, I think that the problem that I saw looking back on it is, is that it, maybe the training stress wasn't crazy, but yet factoring in that life stress where I had a full-time job and I were out and a paper out for a while and like a 30 minute commute each way to my job. Um, like, thank goodness I didn't have a social life cause I wouldn't have been able to, but, um, but yeah, even with kind of those life stresses, like being on my feet a lot of the day when I was teaching and, and all these things that made it, made it so that the, the training I was doing was, was pretty hard. Um, and I, I think that there was definitely some times where, yeah, I got like, I don't want to say overtrained cause I don't like that word, but I was, I was digging a bigger hole and not getting, not maybe hitting those key sessions as well as I could have. And so we were kind of like, you know, in that, in that overstressed zone for a while. Yeah. So did, and did any of that like have a major effect? So then if we kind of, 
um, fast forward to 2012, um, that's when you first started taking on athletes. So you had been coached by me for kind of three full years at mm-hmm. that point. Um, mostly pretty successful, right? You kind of tended to get faster and faster for those, for those years. Um, and we definitely pushed the limits and probably overdid it as far as life stress and training stress. Um, but are, were there any other like mistakes or any like major takeaways or, or, or like the things like pacing that you took towards your coaching, like as a positive and the major negatives that you were like, don't do that. Cause Elliot does that. And that doesn't work. Well, I guess just, just sticking with that first example is that I, I feel like having kind of lived the, the teaching racing professionally lifestyle, I felt like I had a good understanding what people were dealing with, with a full-time job and trying to perform at a top level. And so I was pretty cognizant about like taking, trying to make sure people's life stresses were were in line with their training. And I would still say like, when, when people talk to me about my, my coaching, I think that like, I, that's one of my strengths as a coach is because I've kind of like done the gamut myself, as far as being a full-time athlete to working, you know, eight or nine hours a day and trying to train a lot. And then now like having a child. So I've kind of experienced all the different life stresses and how to try and train through them. So I think that my, my approach um, I can kind of wrap my head around what people are kind of in the middle of. And, and so that's, that's one of the takeaways where, yeah, I think that it definitely helped me as a coach to kind of experience that and say, okay, well, I don't want people to be quite that tired and yeah, have, take that into account. If that makes Avoid sense. those deep, deep wells that, that yeah. can happen sometimes where you're like, wait, I still have to get groceries and you know, <laughs> I have no food and I just did what workout or I have to wake up at X hour and I just, you know, and you're too tired to go to, you know, too tired from your workout to go to sleep. And all of a sudden you lose out on sleep and then it's a cascading effect. Um, anything that you remember that was like kind of maybe not either the opposite or just different from what I did, especially since you have much more of a swim background than I had. Right. That was one thing that definitely like you swam in college, maybe not, you know, you didn't swim a super serious college, but nonetheless, you swam all four years. And I learned to swim in college. Um, so those are kind of polar opposites. Uh, I think, you know, for the, for the most part, you gave me a lot of free reign with the swimming. I swim a lot of groups, group stuff, which I'm still a proponent of in, in my coaching. So I think that was good. And then, yeah, you know, we did some longer swims that with like longer intervals that uh, is obviously like more race specific to triathloning and, and less swim stuff. So that was a little bit of a change because I would never, you know, go to the pool and do like a one K straight um, or with a master's group, like master's teams rarely do that kind of thing. So getting me used to like some longer stuff in the pool was definitely something we did. Um, and some bigger swims too, where I was swimming fairly consistently, but like I didn't swim, you know, five or six K very often. And, and even looking back, I, I looked back and kind of early on, we were doing some, some pretty big swims every once in a while. Yeah. And those were a lot of, those were very like aerobic based. And one thing I noticed, uh, in my coaching in general over time is like, as people lead into an Ironman or a half Ironman, I'm, I'm very cognizant that people have done enough long swimming to just like get that continuous swimming. But I've noticed I've actually changed a bit. Um, and now, and now I feel like there's oftentimes you like, 
if you're, if you're just kind of getting ready for, a, for your half Ironman or Ironman, then like, let's say you're coming off the pandemic and you weren't swimming, I'd be mostly concerned about you being ready for the distance, just like you were talking about when you were training early days. But now I think I have more of a focus on having people come into hard swims a little more rested. And I think that was something I didn't do super well with you. It was kind of like I wrote bike and run plans that played super well off of each other. So you were kind of always ready for a bike and a run, but you weren't necessarily ready for your hardest swims. And it was kind of like, oh, swimming, just bite your lip and get through it. Um, and maybe that wasn't the best way to progress long-term for swimming. And I think it was easier, like you kind of maybe got away with it because of your swimming background. But I think for other people I coached, that was not the best way to go about for like a full, for all encompassing swim, um, progression. Yeah. I think for example, a lot of my hard swims were like Sunday after a run, mm -hmm. um, or like Monday, <laughs> or like Monday morning after like a hard weekend of training where it'd be like, yeah. And, and like you said, I think that I, it didn't really matter as much for me. I think I was going to be fine in the water no matter what. I do think we missed out like a little bit on some progression that like, cause you've had some pretty good swims in the last couple of years. And I think you've been able to find like a better balance, um, of like making sure you got those swims in. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think. And, um, and I would say that I probably have, have learned how to do that from coaching other athletes who like can't get through a master swim type set, like when they're a little bit tired. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, oh, so I need to like, actually like think about when those swims are, because I feel like it, you know, in my early years, like you were talking about, I would just like go to the pool and I could like put my head down and get through a master set. And like, maybe I wouldn't do a great job, but I could probably make the send-offs. Um, and so I was like, well, yeah, that's just what you do. Like you're tired, but you just do it. And, and then I have, you know, was coaching some athletes and they're like, I literally like can't make the send-offs right now. I'm too tired. And so I was like, okay, like we need to kind of revamp this. And like you were talking about, like have a little bit of a rest leading into these harder swims. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I should try that too. And, you know, turns out a little bit fresher does make a pretty big difference in the water. Cause even though your heart rate's not crazy high, it is still like a fair amount of intensity on that same vein. Uh, another thing that I didn't do early on is like, and this is as a coach or an athlete as an athlete is I didn't, I don't know what I had as far as like tools. Like I don't, I'm 98% sure I didn't have a power meter. I don't you know if I not. used heart. I, I don't know if I used heart rate very often. You had a heart rate monitor and we dabbled with it for a couple months and then it just like, it wasn't going well and you weren't having fun with it. And so we just went pure RPE for a lot of years. But I, I do think that one thing that I, noticed about myself back then is, is we were trying to develop my RP, but it wasn't very good. And, and I would go, I would still go by feel a lot on my workouts. Like I remember talking to some of my training partners kind of retrospectively and they were like, yeah, I didn't know which Jesse would show up the Jesse that was going to like, well, we're going to just ride sweet spot for three hours or the Jesse was like kind of tired and we're going to ride like literal recovery pace for three hours. And, and there wasn't like a ton of in between. Um, and I think, and I don't, I think technology has obviously come a long way since then. And so I don't know if this is more of like, like a coaching thing or a technology availability thing, but I think had I had a little more, more guidance in there to say, okay, like you need to stay within these caps, then I could have, it might've sped up my development of RPE and 
So that is one thing I, I do try and use a little bit more now is like trying to talk to people about those other metrics and, and have that influence their RPE a little bit more. Um, that's, that's great. Cause one of my notes under Elliot's mistakes <laughs> is, uh, I needed to be more assertive on you doing your easy stuff easy enough. And I, I like, I remember particularly on riding and running where you might be running with, or riding with someone who kind of like wanted to push the pace and also just in general with making sure you took enough rest, because I remember looking at a lot of your training and, um, I guess I always try to listen to my athletes and whatever they tell me, I have to take that at face value. But after you've coached someone long enough, they can tell you X and you know, it's X minus five. Right. And so like, they're not lying to you, but they don't know what they're trying to say maybe. And you can get yourself into a little bit of trouble. You can get yourself into a lot of trouble if it's a new athlete. So like, if it's a new athlete, just do what they say to the T. Right. But once you've been coaching someone for multiple years and you've done multiple builds for big races, I was noticing that I kind of felt like you continually would say you were fresher than you actually were. And I was only like adjusting like one or two notches when I needed to be adjusting like six notches. And I wasn't assertive enough, or maybe I didn't have enough confidence enough to just be like, Jesse, chill out. Right. Like this is a time where maybe you need a little bit more recovery. And it sounds like then it got to be a problem. Um, because you also kind of had the same tendencies. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, totally. I think, well, and I, yeah, no, this is kind of leads back to a conversation we had the other day about like, I really like training and I really like training hard. So like, I, I knew the, the reason why you're asking me the questions. And so of course I wanted to like feed you a little bit more better information to get the results that I wanted. So like, you know, it's not, again, I wasn't like lying, but I was like, well, I want to be a little fresher than I am. Cause I want to do more training next week. Mm-hmm. And, and so I could kind of like convince myself that I was, um, feeling better than I was. And so, yeah, it was kind of like that, that vicious cycle of, <laughs> well, and, and it, it compounds because I wasn't okay with just like putting my foot down and you were like kind of okay with being pushed a little too hard. So I'm, I'm actually curious. So once you started training, like three years into that, I noticed, uh, like around 13, 14, and then especially like 15, it became a little bit easier to pull you back on the reins and, and you were still coach. You were still, um, you were coaching, but you were also working full-time as a teacher and you were training your face off. Did you notice like that when you started coaching, maybe it was easier to recognize pushing yourself too hard and was it easier to take a step back or did I just completely make that up? No, I think, yeah, I think I learned a lot from, from coaching athletes and listening to them and then being like, oh, you're like acting just like I was acting and kind of understanding the value of like that honest feedback and, and really learning the value of rest. Like, you know, now I give a fair amount of athletes a complete rest day, like somewhat frequently, like maybe not every week, but maybe every two weeks. And I feel like, um, we would go long stretches with no rest days. And I'm sure that a lot of that was driven by me not ever wanting to take a a complete rest day. And also probably my age at the time of like, maybe I didn't need a complete rest day as much as I would still say that's Elliot's greatest weakness to this day is if you don't ask for rest, you it's, it's, I, I know rest days are good, but unless you're just absolutely training insanely hard, I it's, it's like, I don't know why, but it's a thing I have to overcome. I should probably get a therapist and, and put a few more rest days across the board and just sprinkle them out a, a couple each week to an athlete. 
Um, I cut you off there. No, you're good. You're good. Just <laughs> nodding, nodding with you. Yeah. So, so, um, as, as you were coaching, what were some things like at that point that, that then like you, you noticed your coaching styles develop from that and, and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I think like, you know, incorporating a little more rest, especially once I saw the value. And then like we were talking about, like getting those highs a little bit higher. I mm-hmm. think that as I developed as an athlete, I was able to, for example, push harder on the bike. And this also time frame also like coincided with me moving down from 6,500 feet to 2000 feet. And so I, I don't know how much of a role that played, but I think that my my intensity across the board got a little bit higher. And so I think maybe that needed a little bit more recovery. And I think I saw some, some gains from that. And so I think that's something that I did in, in my coaching as well, where, you know, like it's okay to give that rest day. And then like those, the next day's intervals or whatever, two days later is going to be like really on the gas. And so having, having a little bit more of that, like, higher, high, lower, low to get that, that ship a little bit higher overall. And, and if you recall, so you, what year did you move to Tucson? 2011, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Yeah. So that's like three years in and Mm -hmm. your first August, that was right where I was getting comfortable enough. One, I had been coaching full-time for two years at that point, nothing else. And I'd been coaching for some sort of money at that point for like six or seven years. And I think I finally got confident enough probably our first like real straight up arguments were when you moved to Tucson and it was blazing hot. Cause you moved there in August. That's when the school year starts. And I was like really putting my foot down that you needed to do less. Cause it was a million degrees out and you almost died. <laughs> and then, and then you like basically gave up and you were like, fine, I'll do what you say. Um, is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't word it quite like that, but, but, <laughs> But yeah, and, and I think, um, I think, yeah, adjusting, adjusting for the heat was, uh, something that we needed to work on a little bit in the beginning there. Yeah. But I think it was interesting because both you had started coaching just, uh, just enough, but you'd also been coached and kind of pushed to that limit enough that I think you finally got comfortable enough being told what to do. And I, I finally got comfortable enough, like really putting my foot down and be like, Hey man this is the scenario if we're going to get through this in one piece. Um, and then it kind of started to roll from there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess going back to, uh, the early days and how that rolled forward. I, one thing that we did a lot of was we did a lot of volume on the bike. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, um, that's something that I've kind of carried with me as a coach and an athlete that, it's a, you know, it's just a great place to, to build volume for athletes to work on that aerobic base. And, and I think that I'm like learning how to say, okay, well, there are other ways to, to do that too. Like if people love swimming, we can do some six, six K swims where they can build the aerobic base in the water as well. Um, but I think that, yeah, I really got like kind of high bike volume instilled in me at a young athletic age. And I really see a a high value in that. I think that's something that's helped me in my career. Um, and yeah, that's something that we did a lot. And I I think that's probably something that I, to this day, 
I've had issues where I just gave people too much, right? It was just too much overall, but I think in general, I still lean that way. And I would put that more firmly in the camp of like something I've not changed much on, mm -hmm. just kind of like, it's the least risky way to get in a lot of volume. And I think if Marilyn was here, she would probably agree with us because she rides more than almost anybody. Um, maybe yeah, that's what unites us three. <laughs> so Marilyn, if you're listening, we miss you, but... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, she definitely rode a lot back in her triathlon days and still rides a lot now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and I think again, though, that the, the specific intensities for that, maybe that was something that we could have worked on more earlier on. And I think that's something I've kind of changed and tried to be a little bit better at is, you know, making sure an aerobic rides aerobic and if it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And I was going to jump into like a few, just like more general me as a younger coach versus now, some things I look back on that I've changed and then kind of get your impressions. But, um, so as I mentioned with you kind of being more assertive on rest in for you in particular, but, um, also on race schedules that were like really aggressive or maybe at the wrong time of year in particular, like you've mentioned many times on this podcast, like you don't usually race that well after a summer in Tucson. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I always kind of knew that, but I didn't know how to tell you, like, maybe we should just go real heavy in November, you know, through April. Um, but it's so hard to do when all the best races are at a different time of year. Um, how do you, how do you do that as a coach? Yeah. So I think that like, there's stacking the training appropriately for different race schedules is is something that's, that's super important. And I think it's thought the nice thing about like amateur racing is usually they know a year ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And so you can say, okay, like racing in September, living in Tucson is not optimal, but if we know that's the situation we're in, in a year, you can set, you can kind of structure that a little differently. Um, as opposed to the situation I would put you in or be like, okay, it's like spring and now I'm going to throw together a 12 re race calendar that's going to start in whatever May and it's going to go all the way through November. And how can we, how can we make this work as opposed to being like, well, I've got you know two races in almost a year from now. Um, yeah, it's a lot different. It's a lot different. And, and yeah, I, we definitely put together some, some monster race schedules and, you know, there is sometimes where, I think we not to say we kind of got lucky where we train a lot and then we race a fair bit over the summer and like I could kind of float my fitness and not have to train a ton mm -hmm. and it would like work out most of the races but but yeah there's definitely a lot of times where I'd have those late summer races and just be like man why did I flop again <laughs> why, well there why? was one summer in particular where you did like 10 local races and you like remember you won 10 races in a row or something like that and a couple yeah. of them had small pro fields and then you just were crushing for months on end and then you rolled into i can't remember which iron man but the iron man was what you were actually training for and it was just like a massive dud and i was just like huh well 12 wins is pretty cool and like you got some checks and like you were basically local hero of new york and then and then the, the race you wanted to just like, we totally whiffed. Um, and I kind of feel like that one, that one kind of stood out because there was a lot of good along the way, but there was also like looking back on it, it was like, we clearly messed something up. 
Yeah, that was uh, Ironman Lake Placid. Yeah, <laughs> not not a good race to feel bad on. It definitely uh, that gets those hills get long quick. Yeah. Um, and so, and yeah, I I don't know. Um, yeah, I think we were maybe firing on all cylinders a little t- too soon for a little too long for that one. Yeah. Another mistake I made, uh, not so like we were talking specifically about you racing quite a bit, but t- uh, just athletes in general. At I would say at the beginning of my career, especially when I was coaching like the Montana triathlon team in the mid aughts and late aughts, um, national champs. Anyways, we, uh, we did a lot of racing and training and we did a lot of race pace stuff or faster than race pace stuff. And we just like, you know, you do like four miles all out on the bike and then you'd run a mile as fast as you could. And you would do that like five times. Um, and then I think I overcorrected over the years and I went towards you know, like, let's not push it because you're going to race enough. And then I realized during COVID, oh, well, if my athletes don't race on a somewhat regular basis, the way I coach them doesn't give them enough really hard stimulus. And then I realized, well, maybe some of my athletes that I don't coach or who, who only race a couple times a year, maybe they do need some bigger, harder, more race type efforts. So that's one thing I've been looking at, particularly like COVID kind of brought that into the limelight. Um, and, and I thought that was kind of interesting to look back as I was going through this project preparing, um, where am I now? I'm not, I'm almost not even sure. So now I'm like <laughs> looking specifically at each athlete, like, okay, how many true, like hundred percent efforts do they have? And what am I okay with? Because I think as a young coach, I was okay with twice a week. And then I went towards five times a year. And I feel like realistically, it's maybe like once every, uh, 10 to 30 days like a, a full, true, real hard effort. What's your thoughts on that in general? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was looking back and I was looking at some of the workouts and, um, you know, I was looking at like, I think there's one workout where it was like four by 25 minutes at, at 70.3 Watts. And Damn. I was thinking about trying to do that now. And I'm Did like, I write, I'm assuming I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not too far off, but uh, yeah. Okay. That's an hour 40. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it was like, you know, it was in a series of like, kind of, there's a lot of workouts going on there and that was just kind of one of them. And I'm thinking about if I try to do that right now, like that would really, like I'd have to be fresh or that would crack me in half. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of work. And I know I'm riding harder now than I was then. And so I think that does play a, a, a bigger role where, you know, race Watts or, mean a different thing, the harder you're riding. And, um, so, so maybe it made a little more sense back then, but yeah, I just, I was just thinking about how much that would crack me. Um, so yeah, just kind of one example of that. Yeah. I've, I've definitely, I'm, I'm sure many of your cracking in life are directly resulted to me being a little too ambitious with the keyboard, like, ah, uh, four sounds good. So let's give them seven. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think one thing that I, I took away that I still do and that I do, like I'd say weekly or almost weekly on, on the running front is, is what, what you call strides, what no one else in the world calls strides um, because they're longer than like five seconds. But I, I still get fun of in my, my local running group for saying, hey, I'm just doing some strides. And they'd be like, well, what are they? And I'd be like, well, one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute, and then back <laughs> down. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's a workout. Th- those aren't strides. I'd be like, well, Elliot calls them strides. <laughs> like, but, uh, but I think that, yeah, um, 
I literally so, rode a workout last night, eight by two minutes uphill strides, three minutes jog down. And I just like, I think stride to me encompasses you're there to run well, not to break yourself. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I, I totally agree. I just think it's not the verbiage that a lot of other people use. So I've gotten no, myself you, in you're trouble. You're 100% right. It's, it's not used. And it's the same way that I like still use 40K effort to equate essentially what FTP means. Right. But, and I think to me, it's like, well, I don't care what your threshold is. You have to remember you're preparing for a race. And right. that's one thing that I have not changed since I was 20, even when I was 18, when I was writing high school cross country training. Um, you're always preparing for the race. And I don't know where I picked that up from. It was probably one of the 50 books I read in the library when I was in high school. Um, you have to prepare for the race and you have to keep that in mind. Like, yeah. So the strides you're trying to run fast and efficiently, but then, you know, in terms of when you're on the bike, it's, it's okay to kind of push towards race pace because there's less chance of injury. Um, and so you're like, okay, well, how would this execute in the race? And just always kind of keep that in mind, like in the race, what does this do? So uh, that's actually interesting. Did, did you steal any of that? So do you do that with your athletes? Do you use the word strides? I do. Yeah. And I'm trying to, ch I'm trying to change because everybody gets mad at me. So like, I'm trying to do like, you know, like fart lick runs or like pickups or efforts to try and like not call them strides. And I try and keep my strides when I use the word strides, like 30 seconds at most. Yeah. I, I still end up doing it because it's just kind of like you, after 10 years of you giving it to me, it's kind of locked in my brain. But I've, I've made them shorter over time, but I, I still use stride. You know, I would say I use the word strides for like up to two minutes nice. um, and it's exactly that, that idea. It's like, Hey, we're just trying to be relaxed and run fast. Is there any other like weird kind of things that, that I did that you've kind of like used just because I banged it into your head, even though it might be wrong? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> no. And uh, like, Yeah. The, but I think the biggest takeaway there is that's just kind of the verbiage, right? Like yeah, yeah. Wh whatever you want to call it. Um, but the intent is like, you still include fast, relaxed running on a regular basis, no matter what. Yeah. And I think especially for, yeah, like the older athletes or the athletes that, you know, we can't do a ton of like hard, consistent running for, for health reasons or safety sake mm -hmm. that, um, you know, staying in touch with that, with that turnover and that faster running and, like we talked about like the aging athlete to stay feeling athletic and to stop plotting. I think that's, that's a really good tool that, you know, anyone can use. And like I said, I still use it like weekly myself and basically with every athlete I coach, they get, they get strides. If not every week, probably every other week. Um, that's funny because that's probably one, you know, I've just continually strides are almost like a background of everyone I coach once you're healthy enough to do them. It's just like, it keeps things rolling. And um, I've actually like incorporated them on the bike and, um, like how, how do you execute them on the bike? And this is kind of, I guess, uh, I, I can't, this is a steal from you and trainer road, but they have some workouts that have like late in the workout sprints, mm -hmm. but they're not like all out sprints. Cause I can actually do them. And if they're all out sprints, I wouldn't be able to, um, yeah. Yeah. I've ridden bikes with me for the listener. Jesse's terrible at sprinting and I'm awesome. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, um, but they're just pretty hard efforts kind of later in the ride. And yeah. I think that that's, you know, does similar things for like that muscular recruitment and, you know, I guess that combined with, again, something that 
we did from a ver- the very beginning is like some high cadence work, which I know you've talked about in here that you still are a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think adding in some of those, those harder, harder rides for muscular recruitment on the bike or harder moments, I guess, like 10, 15, 20 seconds has, has really helped like myself, like kind of prime for the next day. And I've seen it in other athletes where they feel much better, like for the next day's workout, if they've, if they've got that engagement Nice. So our ma- our major similarities then are you do lots of strides on the run. You like to do stride adjacent kind of things on the bike. And well, and I did a swim with Erica the other day and it seemed like she had some strides in the beginning of her swim where we do like <laughs> eight by 25 at like 200 effort with like decent rest as part of like the warm up. And she did a hard swim on Friday and the warm up was really similar. So, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess I'm a bit, I'm a very big fan. Um, I mean, my neural physiology classes, I think had just a massive effect on like how I think about training. And e- even yesterday I was listening to a podcast with uh, Steven Seiler, who's a sports scientist and, and they asked him the question, you know, like if you could only do two kinds of exercises, he trains for like strictly for Zwift bike racing. And he was like, so I do, you know, I do like riding my bike and he's like, and I do like long jump or some sort of like explosive jumping exercise just to like stay powerful. And that's essentially what those strides are. And those those high cadence, they're a little less injury risk, but they're almost the same amount of explosion. And, and that stuff keeps everything firing well. And it helps you really be efficient across the board, whether it's a swim bike or run. So, yeah. So it's like that, the two things would be like working on that aerobic base, right? Like doing, like, mm-hmm. like you said, like some long rides or, to, you know, whatever. And then some really, really hard stuff, right? Like some above VO2 work. And I think that's, yeah, that's like, we talked like why, when Brian Stover was on, we talked about that a little bit. Like if, if I was going to set up some sort of like base phase for athletes, mm-hmm. that that's what it would look like where you're, you're staying really far away from race intensity and just doing some really hard stuff. And then a bunch of like aerobic work. Nice. Um, Did you ask him how he looks so young? Uh, no, but hopefully he's listening to this and then he can, he can let us know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's awkward when I'm kind of staring at him and like, man, how do you look younger than I am? Um, so did we, uh, did we cover, I think, well, what are some, uh, major pitfalls or things you want to, you, you're, you feel like you do a lot differently from me or a little differently? Um, you know, I think like, like you were talking about in the beginning where there's just been kind of growth over time and, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, like, like where y'all are, like, I've been learning a lot more, reading a lot more, um, you know, getting some Cracker Jack certifications and triathlon coaching, but, <laughs> but, but mostly just, you know, reading a lot more and listening to a lot more. And I think that, that the body of knowledge has changed over time. And I think there's been, you know, not anything like major, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, turn left instead of right here and to cause this major Y in the road. Especially when, when I look at like the first training I wrote for, um, Brian Descripci, if you're listening back in 2012, yeah. uh, the verbiage is like, is hilariously similar, um, to myself. Yes. Oh, it's like, you're just like, like Elliot talks like this, Jesse, and now you probably developed your own language. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it worked out really well because Brian was exactly like a young version of me at the time. 
like he was super energetic, like this, this go-getter wanted to train all the time. So I was like, well, this actually like correlates really well to, and it was like a nice, like ease in as a coach, because it was like coaching a younger version of myself, as opposed to like now where I, I coach people of like kind of all abilities. And that would have been hard to do right off the bat. Yeah. You just reminded me, I, I realized I started tr- truly coaching triathlon when I was on the team and I was coaching. So, you know, I lived with like a quarter of the team, you know, and so you can really see it firsthand. So that's probably a pretty darn good takeaway. If you're trying to get your feet wet, try to coach someone who has a really similar background to you. So you don't have to like answer those harder questions and you can kind of get a little bit more firm basis. So your mistakes are not quite as far off. And then as you grow, you can take on athletes who are more different or just different from yourself. And, um, and I think, I'm assuming this is actually a big jump, but one thing I, I've always done is I ask athletes pro- an annoyingly a large amount of questions, you know? Um, and so what's your stance on that? Cause I'm peppering people with questions every week on the phone um, as to their schedule and just kind of like over and over, how do you feel? What's, what are your aches and pains? Where are you at? And, and are you comfortable with me pushing as hard as you are? Or could we push you harder? Yeah, no, I think that's, um, that was definitely a, a positive takeaway is, is I like number one, when, before we started, there was a lot of questions about kind of where I was at. And I also like to do the same and really getting to know the athlete ahead of time. And then on that day-to-day basis, like, I guess the, the difference back then is we were emailing. So I was emailing you kind of all these updates and, and now I use training peaks. So I make sure all my athletes kind of give me an update for every single workout and like, you know, a lot of them, if it's like a 90 minute easy spin, they're like, well, do I really need to write something? But it's like, well, like, yeah, you do. You need to, and you know, do, are you puppy sitting and you were up all night, but you still did a 90 minute spin and maybe it went fine, but like kind of keeping me informed on the details of your life, you know, is, is all kind of part of that bigger picture. And then also like, you're talking about like, if there's any sort of like niggles or injury, like I want to know right then so that if we need to change things, we can change it right now. I don't want you to tell me like two weeks down the road, like, Oh, this hurt 10 days ago. Um, and I think that's one thing that, yeah, we, we talked about that kind of stuff a lot and, and I definitely kind of took that away. Any other major differences or did we wrap it all up? Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, like I was saying before where I think I was talking and then got sidetracked, but just change over time. I think that my style has changed a lot and I've kind of developed in my own and I'm sure your style has changed a lot. I don't know any, any other things that you've found that you do totally differently now than you did then. Um, I, I'm a little more, yeah, definitely. I'm a little more assertive and, and I'm definitely more like openly against crazy race plans. Um, I, I like, but at the same time, like I, I just try to like say, okay, like I'm, I'm much better at framing. Here's your race schedule. This is how this might work. And I'm just really, I'm more upfront about it. And it took me probably 10 years to get there. Um, and then other major differences is definitely like way less having people race and workouts like way, way less. And, um, and, and that's, those are the major ones. Um, I, we can get into 9 million different other things, but maybe another podcast. Yeah, I think, um, I know you're trying to wrap it up, but what, one thing I, to touch on that I did notice that I do differently now as well, is that I think that I, I changed the way 
I taper and I changed the way my athletes taper and it's not always the same change. And I guess I didn't dissect every taper we did together. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I think the art of the taper is, is a super tricky one, but I think it's definitely kind of evolved over time. Yeah. I, I'm a, yes. I, I think the biggest thing for me early days and now is making sure that you don't even need that much. Like you're not that broken that you need that much of a taper in the first place. Um, and then you can taper in a number of different ways and hopefully it'll work out. But the, the taper is the taper is a tricky one and every person and everybody's schedule. And then you start considering tra uh, travel schedules. There's no way you can just taper the same time every time, unless you have a completely open schedule and you always travel five days before the race. But even then, you know, a three hour flight is different than a 30 hour flight. And that just changes everything about the taper. Yeah, I think, yeah. One thing I noticed about some of our early tapers is I, I looked at like the weekend before and I was like, man, that was like pretty full on. But then I looked back at some of those weeks prior to that and it's like, well, it was like, kind of like you're talking about, it wasn't like as full on. And I think now I might, maybe it's because I'm stronger, so I can go like a little harder, a little longer in that like three, four, five weeks out so that I actually am closer to broken and need a little more taper. And, um, and I think some of my athletes will probably say the same that I get them a little closer to broken and then the taper kind of revives them. Um, so yeah, that's just one in, just in time, just, uh, hopefully just in time. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, nice. hopefully we'll, we'll find out in a few days if it's just in time for Tulsa, <laughs> still not sure yet, but hopefully, hopefully next podcast, I have good things to say about that one. Nice. Well, I think we covered most of it and, uh, we'll be back with Marilyn next week. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was a, that was a fun little trip down memory lane. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. I, that definitely. I think we would have bored Marilyn a, a little bit if she didn't get to talk on that one, but uh, we took our opportunity and we covered all bases. So if you're ever wondering about our history, you can pop back and listen to this one. So have a good race, Jesse, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks. Talk to you next time.